Chapel West Grove. I want to welcome all of you, whether you are in the sanctuary, the fellowship hall, or joining us online, just to take a deep breath, allow anything and everything that might distract you from this next hour, hour and a half, because God wants to do great and mighty things. He has plans for this time, not just for our future next month or next year, but right here today. God wants to use this time for his glory, and we want anything and everything that God wants to say to us, what he wants to do in our lives. Amen? So let's stand and ask God to bless our service of worship this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, we come humbly, Lord, just before your throne of grace to obtain mercy in time of need. God, we need you. We love you. We want you. We are so thankful that you woke us up this morning. We have life and that abundant through your son, God, and we want to fix our gaze and our eyes upon you today. We want to lift you to the highest place in our heart and in our lives. Lord, as we lift you up to be glorified and magnified, we do pray that you would send your Holy Spirit down to fill this place, Lord, that your will, your plans would be accomplished for this service, Lord. We know that you do we believe that you do want to do great and mighty things in our service. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, move freely as you see fit, Lord, to save souls, to heal, Lord, physical healings, Lord, spiritual healings. There are some here whose hearts are broken and wounded and heavy. Would you lift those things? Would you set people free from any and all forms of bondage, Lord, anything holding them, holding us back? from a more personal, close, intimate relationship with you. That's what we want. That is what we desire. So have your way with this time. We're thankful that you have plans for this time, Lord, and we give you this service. Have your way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We all say amen.
think the storm's getting ready to roll And I feel the faith that it's starting to rise And I see a world on the edge of revival I think it's only a matter of time So we sing, so do it only you
breath in our lungs to bring you praise and you glory. God, I pray that we as a church, that we would continue to sing praise no matter what we're going through, no matter what's going on in this world. That we would be known as a church that praises your name, that we would be known as a church that seeks your face. God, I pray this community would be changed because we as a church, we not only worship on Sunday, but that we worship through the way that we live our lives, God. That your name would be known in this town, in this city, in our neighborhoods. God, help us, give us more faith that we would stand on your truth no matter what that we would walk in your love, that we would be marked by your love, Jesus. So God, we ask this morning that you would teach us, teach us more of your character, teach us more of how to follow you, God. Change our hearts. God, we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the adoration, and it's in your mighty name we pray, and everybody says, How exciting today at 1 p.m. I hope and pray to see each and every single one of you guys here just to hear and be a part of the great work that God is doing. Um, So often we hear of the work that he's doing globally, but locally, man, God is doing amazing and great things. And so please, um, if you can, make sure you guys come on out for that. Wasn't that an amazing time of worship? And man, let's give the Lord a round of applause. He just showed up today. I just love that line. I just couldn't get past even the impossible is possible with God. Amen? 
Look at your neighbor real quick. Say, even the impossible is possible with God. Man, if you get nothing else from the message, which I hope you do, <laughs> it's debatable. We might find out. Again, we'll talk to you in about 30 minutes. But just that truth, because how many of you guys are going through, have been through, or know that you're going to go through something that is impossible for you very, very shortly? How many of you guys know that? But even the impossible, God allows us to go through impossible situations that we cling to him and lean upon him. God didn't make us you know, in a way that we can do it. That is humanistic. That is worldly. We can't do it, but he can. And it's just so amazing just singing that, declaring that, and just grabbing a hold of that because there was a time in each and every single one of our lives that we'd have a problem saying that. Nothing's impossible for me. Nothing's, I can do anything if I just put my mind to it. If I just try a little harder, work a little harder, but that's the gospel. We can't, and he did. And it's just so beautiful reminiscing and just thinking about that truth and so if you have your bible uh, go ahead and open up to the book of first corinthians chapter 13 we are finishing uh the chapter a two-part message called a more excellent way where right in between two chapters the apostle paul is instructing and teaching about the gifts of the holy spirit sandwiched sandwiched right i'm from the south southern california we sandwiches over there you know but you know right sandwiched in between those two is about love and so in the first half of chapter 13 the apostle paul not only explained but defined what love is and really he no doubt blew their mind saying that without love we have absolutely nothing that none of the gifts prophecy or tongues if they're not used with love faith they're nothing. They amount to nothing. It says we can speak with the tongues of men and angels, but if we have not love, it is just a clanging symbol. And so today, the Apostle Paul, as we will see, he builds on that same idea of the importance of love, but also begins to show not only the importance of love, but the permanence of love as well. Stating very powerfully and clearly that how everything else will fade away, will cease, and will pass but love in a more excellent way. So let's look at verse eight where it says this. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. After thoroughly defining and showing us and the church in Corinth what real agape love is and what it looks like, he jumps right into a very powerful and pointed statement when he says that love never fails. And with this statement, he will begin to expound upon the eternal and permanent nature of love. Now in context here, it's important to understand he is contrasting the temporary need of gifts and spiritual things to the permanent need and reality, internal nature of love. And so our love for God and our love for people will be internal and it will something that we will do forever. But gifts, as we will see, they will cease. Prophecy and tongues and all these things will come to an end, but love is eternal. We will have love for God and we will have love for people for eternity. That's not something that will ever, ever end. And so for us as believers, it is all about abiding and remaining in and walking in love, not only in eternity, but now and for eternity. First John chapter four, it talks all about that. It says, so God is love. That's why it's going to last forever because the very nature and characteristic of God is love. And so love will be eternal. It will be permanent. It will be forever. And it says, if we don't know the love of God, then we do not know God. But because we know the love of God, we will abide in, remain in, and continue in that love for eternity. Love is eternal. And so now while love never fails and it will last forever, Paul goes on to say regarding the gifts, we see this contrast between love and the gifts where he says in verse 8, that love never fails. I'm sorry, we already went over that. He says regarding the gifts, commercial break <laughs> the disciples they never had ipads you know what i mean they just they never shut off in the middle of the messages these things never happen all right here we go okay 
We're back. <laughs> we'll be back in two and two. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so high schoolers are like, what does that mean? Whatever. Um, it's regarding the gifts. It says that prophecy will be done away with. It says that tongues will cease and that knowledge will be done away with as well. And so with this, we see a very clear distinction between love that will last forever and the gifts which will cease or be done away with. And so with this, Paul very, very clearly tells us here that a time will come, a time very, very soon that the gifts will no longer be needed and that God will actually allow these spiritual gifts, these beautiful things that we enjoy and we partake in now, things like prophecy and the gifts of tongues and the gift of faith and knowledge and wisdom, all these gifts that we talked about on Wednesday night, God will allow them to cease and to be done with. And so think about that. A time very, very soon will come where we will no longer need the edification and the exhortation that the gift of prophecy brings. It will come to an end. Likewise, there, a time will come where there will be no need for languages that share the heart of the Spirit through the gifts of tongues. A time will come where we will no longer need divine insight that the gift of knowledge provides. A time very, very soon. The question is, when is that time? We see here that the time will come to an end, where they will cease, where they will fade away. But when is that time? Well, in verse 10, Paul gives an idea of when that time will be by saying, when the perfect comes. Verse 10, he says, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. Now, in regard to spiritual gifts, another translation says, when the perfect comes, they will become useless. A time will come when gifts will be useless, where they will be no more, where they will no longer be needed. And so to truly know when the gifts will cease, it's important for us to understand when and what the perfect is, because that is when the gifts will be needed no longer. That is when they will be no more, where they will cease and they will be done away with. And so that time is coming, but when is that time? Well, we have to understand what the perfect is. Now, understanding the perfect has been tricky and the source of much controversy because of its two distinct and differing views of interpretation. And so we're going to talk about both of those. And it's important that we understand when the perfect is because these gifts are going to be done away at that time. Now, one group believes, interprets, and has come to understand that the perfect means the completion or the canonization of scripture, the completion of the New Testament. This group believes and holds to the truth that since we have the whole counsel of God, the complete word of God, that there is no longer any need for the miraculous gifts that the apostle Paul is talking about in chapter 12 and chapter 14. We have the scripture, the complete word of God, so there is no longer any need for the gifts. This group simply believes that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for today. Now, there's another viewpoint that believes that the perfect isn't or doesn't have anything to do with the canonization or the completion of the New Testament, but rather that the perfect is a direct reference to Jesus Christ. This group believes that the gifts are for today and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit is for today and to be used in order as he very clearly talks about. This is the position that I personally hold and that we cling to and believe the Bible teaches here at Calvary Chapel, Westgrove. I also believe that we see that very clearly in Scripture and in context here, the Apostle Paul is connecting the perfect to Jesus Christ further on in verse 12 where he says everything changes, not in the canonization of the Scripture, not when we have the completion in the whole counsel of God, but when we see Jesus face to face. That's when things change. That's when those things are done away. That is when we know as we are fully known, not when we have the completion of the scripture. It's when we see Jesus face to face. So we believe that the perfect is a direct reference to Jesus. And one problem with the perfect being the completion of the New Testament or the canonization of scripture in the New Testament is this stance really didn't begin to take off until the early 1900s. You won't find any old commentaries or any, a lot of commentaries or speakers or teachers of old teaching this stance. And the stance didn't begin to take off prior to the 20th century. It wasn't really heard of. 
Everyone interpreted, believed, and really taught that the perfect was Jesus Christ. Well, what happened in the early 1900s to, to change and to cause people to really begin to waver on this beautiful point? Well, some believe that this point arose in response to a move of the Holy Spirit right here locally called the Azusa Street Revival that took place right here in L.A. Now, around that time of the Azusa Street Revival in the early, in the early 1900s, also birthed around that same time was a movement at, known as the Pentecostal movement. And our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, they like maybe the church in Corinth, they were very charismatic and they enjoyed the gifts of the Spirit. And they emphasized those and they walked in those maybe to the detriment of many, many people. And so what had happened from one extreme to another, some began from this scripture right here teaching that the gifts had ceased and that they were no longer for today. And it was a response to abuse of the gifts. And so often that happens, one extreme to another, right? You get hurt in a relationship and all of a sudden your heart gets hard and you know, I'm not dating no more, one extreme. I remember when I, the first time I got my heart broken in the third grade. I, I, I never... I don't know why you're laughing. I'm trying to share with you guys. But when my heart was broken, I, I was hurt. I'm never dating again. I'm never dating again. I'm, you know, that was one extreme just because my heart was broken. I put the letter in her, you know, in her locker and I said, you want to be boyfriend, girlfriend? Yes, no, maybe. I gave her three options. And she took the worst. And she actually added a box, no, never. I was like, wow, it's just a sad, sad time. And so the, the extreme reaction to that would be, I'm never dating again. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And that's the same thing. We've seen the abuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the early 1900s as this movement began to take place. And so they were afraid and they ran and they went to an extreme and said the gifts had ceased and they were no longer for today, which is absolutely wrong. And so we pick up in verse 11 where the Apostle Paul says this. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love. By these three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. And so now the Apostle Paul, after talking and laying out, not only defining what love looked like in verses 1 through 7, defining what agape love is, giving definitions and showing the importance of, now he laid out this new idea of the permanence of love, that all these things will fade away, but love is eternal. And so here in verses 11 and 12, he gives practical illustrations to prove and to build upon that point of the permanence of love. And he begins by showing how a child in its infant stages is limited to certain things. But as it grows, as it gets older, it naturally there's a maturation process that takes place in a child's life. We can go to the nursery and we can go to the junior high and we naturally should see a, nat a maturation process that takes place over time. Children, when they're born, as they begin to grow, they walk different. They talk different. They begin to understand things differently, hopefully, right? Some of you wives are elbowing your husband. That's wrong, okay? You know, that's, yeah, you see, that's the process I want to see in you. That's, that's wrong. You know, hopefully there's a natural, we don't think the same as adults when we did as kids. We don't walk the same. We don't talk the same. We don't process the same. We don't see the world the same. You know, I remember just recently, uh, one of my children have come to the realization that I don't know everything. And I, and I, I use that not tongue in cheek, but it's like, hey, you can't lie to me. God tells me everything. So you might as well just tell me now. And now it's like, nah, that's not true. Hey, I know what you did. You know, there was a time where you could just use mind control. Hey, what'd you do at school today? I already know. So just go ahead and tell me. I would have no clue. I would have no clue. I remember in junior high at, at retreats, you know, the first night people would stay up late and, you know, the next morning I would get up in the, in the pulpit. Hey guys, hey, just listen, man. I know what you guys were talking about in your tents. And I know, guys, come on. 
You know, the kids over breakfast, over lunch. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, Pastor. They would just be confessing. They really believed that I, that I knew those things. Now, some of them right now are in here listening, thinking, you really did? No, there's a maturation process. We see things, we think, and we walk, and we talk differently than we did. There's a natural process. So just as things that might be appropriate for kids, for infants, in their early stages, but they grow out of them, they mature out of those things. You know, we go to the nursery right now, we're gonna see beautiful little babies with pacifiers. There's something so sweet about it. It's so cute. It's not as cute when we go into the junior high and we see a kid with a pacifier. It's not cute. You know, God has blessed me with rather large children. And, uh, you know, I, I would actually have to, like, like say I go to Target with one of my kids. Jude was especially a, a big, big baby. And he would be young, but I would have him in Target. And he would look like he was four years old, like had a mustache with a pacifier. I'm like, he's only nine months. He's, and like, that, he's only nine months. Okay, I, you know, he, you know, people are probably looking like, look at this kid. You know what I mean? I'm holding him, his feet are down to my knees. I'm like, like he's not a teenager. Because people would look, that's weird. There's no maturation process. There's no need for that pacifier any longer. There needs to be growth. There needs to be maturity. So things aren't appropriate for children as they mature, as they get a little older, they need to put those things away. So too is it with the gifts. That's the case with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that time, when we put those things away, when there will no longer be a need for them is when we see Christ face to face. The second illustration that he uses in verse 12 is he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. Now, today there is nothing worse. We, we are reliant and dependent upon mirrors and we don't even know it. A mirror is one thing that almost every single one of us use every single day. We can't do anything without a mirror. Whether it's shave our face, shave our head, groom ourselves, floss, whatever, we're dependent on the mirror because we can see things clearly in it. And we're blessed to have that because that wasn't the case back then. Mirrors weren't something that they really began to uh, produce the way that we have them now. It's about the 16th century. So back then, what they had in the church in Corinth is they would polish what they would call Corinthian brass. And so you couldn't see very, very clearly your, your view when you would look into this mirror would be limited. Some of the ladies right now are thanking God for being born in the 20th century. Thank you, Lord. Praise to Jesus, right? And so you imagine getting ready back then, you know, on your wedding day with no mirror? Hello. You know, and so what he's saying here, his point is very, very clear. All the spiritual truths and realities that we understand now are in parts. We may not see them. We may not understand them fully clear just yet. But when we see him face to face, it says we will know as fully as we are known. We will see things clearly. And so in context here, regard to the spiritual gifts, when we see him clearly and we are fully known, there will be no need for gifts any longer. There won't be need for prophecy and for tongues. Those things will be done away. But they're needed now. And they are for today. It's like going camping. There are certain things that we take out camping that will assist us in our camping trip because we know that it's gonna be dark, there's not gonna be lights, and so we carry flashlights. As the sun begins to go down, we're, we're, we're married to this flashlight, it assists us in what we are doing. But when the sun comes up and the sun rises and everything is illuminated, we no longer have a need for a flashlight. So too, when we see Christ face to face, there'll be things that we will no longer have need for. And one of those is the gifts of the spirits. Before moving on, I think it's important to not only realize, but to remember that currently we know only in parts. Look at your neighbor and say, you know only in parts. And I think it's a great mistake. And the, real life, the reason I want us to share that and to really talk about that is because I think it's a great mistake for anyone, any of us to believe or to think they have complete understanding or with 100% accuracy understand the things of God. We only know in parts. No, I'm not talking about truths that we can really wrap, grab and wrap our arms around, things like the love of God. We may not understand it fully, but we get it salvation, that God, that God died for us so that we can be redeemed and reconciled to him. We get it. I'm talking about the deep spiritual truths, the mysteries of God. To think that we understand 
all the doctrines complete with deep understanding with 100% accuracy. I think it's a mistake because we know only in parts. I think it's important to understand that. It was a, such a blessing to be able to come to the point in my life where I understood that. Where after I would preach, uh, whether I was in the foyer or wherever I might be, where somebody would come up to me and they would talk about a certain passage that I might have taught or expounded upon and think, well, hey, I see it this way. And I could look at them and say, you know what? You may be right. Probably not, but no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you, you may be right. And that's a blessing because right now I only know in part. And to think that any of us know we're going to get to heaven and we are going to be shocked. When we know, when we're known as fully as we are known, when we understand things, we're going to be able to be and to see things so, so differently. So remember, so give grace to one another. Let's remember, let's not let these things divide and fight. Now, I will get very, very dogmatic over certain things that malign the character of God, the nature of God, the love of God. Those things I think I have a, a grasp on, and I, and, I will, and I will fight. And not for me, but it's, I'm not going to, like anybody's not going to let somebody talk bad about their mother or their father. How much more our Heavenly Father when they're maligning His character, His nature, who is love. And when they misrepresent Him, I'll say, no, 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 that's not God. That's not the God I know. That's not the God I worship. So there are certain things, but I don't know everything, and I know only in parts. So I think it's important for us to understand that and to remember that. And so... In verse 13, Paul closes this beautiful teaching on love a more excellent way by saying this. But now faith, hope, and love remain. But the greatest of these is love. It has been said, and rightfully so, that these three, faith, hope, and love, are the three main Christian pillars of our faith. That we can build and rest and grab a hold upon these three things in our Christian life. Now think about it. Out of all the things that the Apostle Paul could have said, abide in. Out of all of them, serving or giving or praying, whatever. All these beautiful things that we could grasp and pull from the scriptures to abide and to remain and to continue in. These are the big three. Faith, hope, and love. This is what we should desire more of in our life. More faith, more hope, more love, and build our lives upon. Faith, hope, and love. Faith is simply believing and trusting in God and his word and his promises. The ability to trust and have faith in those things. And that's where it all starts. That's what we're saved by. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith is the starting point, believing and coming to a place of trusting in God, in his word, in promises. That's ground zero, which everything is built upon, is faith. And because we have faith in God, in his word, in his promises, naturally a byproduct of faith, I believe, is hope. Hope, with hope, comes the ability to, and the ability to endure to not give up, having hope that God is going to work out and work in every situation that we might be going through. That is what hope, and without faith, there can be no hope. Right now, when we find ourselves getting discouraged or getting beat down about whatever we might be going through, it's because we lose hope. We would never say it out loud, but God, this situation's too big. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what, and we bail out. We give up. We feel like it's hopeless. That should never be a word in the Christian's vocabulary. Because with Jesus, we have a hope that doesn't disappoint. And because we believe in him, his truth and his promises, that he is faithful even when we are faithless, that he can do a miracle in a minute, that his plans for us are good, no matter whatever, when we call unto him, he will answer us, all these different things, we can have hope in any and every situation. God, even though I don't see it, even though I don't feel it, I know that you're working. I know that you haven't left me. I know that you haven't abandoned me or forsaken me. I have hope because I can have this hope is through faith. Lord, your promises. You've given me time and time again faithful promises that you will bring me through, that in my weakness you will be made strong, that you will always be there. And so because of that, I have hope that you're moving in and working through this situation. Now, biblical hope, the type of hope that is produced and comes through faith, isn't this passive or weak attitude to it. 
The word hope is closely connected to the Spanish word esperanza. That's pretty good, huh? Some of you guys Latinos are like, okay. I told you I was a blacks again. But it's the Spanish word esperanza, which means not just thinking it will happen, but rather expecting it as if it's not only already happened, but it's on its way. Not, oh, sitting back passively, I hope, I hope, I hope. No. Biblical hope, it's, it's powerful. It's from a place of power because he is powerful. And our hope isn't in us. It's in him. So God, I can hope in you. I hope that you're already moving. You're already working. You're already doing something. Even though I don't see it, even though I don't feel like it, I know that you're working because I have hope in you. Having this hope in God is so crucial. And that type of hope is what gets us through difficult times of discouragement. Even when stages of depression begins to set in, it's because we lose hope. And so having this hope is what brings us through those difficult times. We see that in Psalm 43. It'll be on the board. Psalm 43, verse 5 says this. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? The psalmist, as he was writing this, there was despair, there was heaviness upon his soul. He was down and he was discouraged and he was crying out, why? Why am I going through this? Why am I heavy? Why is this upon me? And he says, hope in God. That's the answer to the discouragement, to the despair. It's hope in God. For I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Why am I discouraged? Why am I depressed? It's because I lost hope. So why am I discouraged? Why am I down? Why am I feeling defeated? Oh, I'm going to turn my back on that. And I'm going to hope in God. Have this expectant, waiting that, God, you're going to move in this. You're going to work in this. I'm not going to give into the hopelessness that the enemy wants to bring upon me. So we got faith and we got hope, but the greatest is love. Of the three pillars, faith, hope, and love, I believe love is the greatest because as we saw in verse 7 last week, faith and hope are definitions of and powered through love. And so love is what our life needs to be centered and defined by. And in context here, the Apostle Paul is showing the greatness of love, greater than the gifts. Everything else is going to fade away. This is kind of the period at the end of the sentence. Everything else fades away. Faith, hope, the gifts, nothing. But love is the greatest. Love has to be the greatest. Because out of these three pillars, faith, hope, and love, it is the only permanent, it is the only eternal one. Just like the gifts, there will be a time where faith and hope will no longer be needed. We will no longer soon need to have faith, need to have hope. Why? Because everything that we had faith in and everything that we had and everything that we had hoped for will come to fruition when we see him face to face. There will be no need for faith. Right now we're living by faith. But soon we will walk by sight. And everything we hope for, the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, will be a reality. So there will be no need for hope or for faith. It will be fulfilled and realized in heaven, seeing him face to face. So in closing, since there will always be love, let's seek and desire it more in our lives now than ever before. More love for God and more love for people. And even as 1 John 3.18 says, let us not love with words or with tongue, but with deed and in truth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning, God. We thank you for this time that we got to sit and lay aside and just rest at your feet, Lord, and worship you and and hear from you from your word, Lord. We ask in the very beginning that you'd be glorified, and, and you were, Lord. We are in awe of your great love for us, the eternal, permanent nature of love. Lord, help us to meditate and to dwell upon that and to apply it to our lives, Lord. If, if faith, hope, and love, you're telling us to abide and help us, Lord. Help us to trust you more, to believe you more in your word and in your promises, God. And from that, we know that we will have hope believing and trusting and knowing that you will work all things out for good. With hope, we will be able to endure and to persevere, not giving up, 
knowing that you are near in any and every situation. So Lord, help us to love you more. Help us to love people more. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. We all say, amen. If you are here today and you are separated from God, you need to hear the greatest news ever. You might be here and you feel like God is here and you're so far away from him. It's a simple truth, but it's the most powerful, life-changing few words that you will ever hear. And it is God loves you. We live in a world that is loveless, that it's the opposite of love, it's hate. But God loves you. God loves you. And God demonstrated that love for you to, today. It says that while we were sinners, he died for us. And so even though you're here today and you might feel separated, you know that God loves you, but not only did he say that he loved you, because we live in a world where talk is cheap. There's a lot of lip service, a lot of talk, but God didn't just say it. He demonstrated it, and while we were sinners, when we wanted nothing to do with him, when we were running from him, when we were rebelling from him, he died for us so that we could have a relationship with him, so that that barrier, that separation between us and him can be removed. It says, for God so loved the world, that's you, that's me, that's everyone in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in me, starts with faith, that's the ground point, Whoever believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. And so today can be the day where you respond to the greatest demonstration of love ever. God becoming a man, dying, paying a price that we deserved so that we can be reconciled to him. And so today his arms are open wide, saying, come to me. Come to me, place your faith in me, and that separation between you and me will be removed. You will be forgiven. And so today is the day of salvation. If you're here and you are separated from God, and you know that, today is the day where you receive it, where you respond. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And if you're here today and you want to place your faith, today you believe that Jesus is God and what he did on the cross was for you, and you want to respond to that love by opening up your heart and asking him to come in and to turn your life around and over to him. Today is the day of salvation. Any man who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Today you can be saved from your sin and eternal separation from God by receiving him. For as many that received me, God said, I've given them the right to become children of God. Today you can become a child of God. Today is the day. Will you receive him? If you're here today and you're ready to respond to that great love, you're ready to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and start your new life with him, right where you're seated, I just want to ask you, to go ahead and stand right now. Go ahead and stand. Push yourself off that chair and say, I'm ready today. I want to respond today. I don't want to be separated from God another day. I want to receive him as my personal Lord and Savior. Will you stand so I can pray for you now? Anybody here? She said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If you open it up, I will come in. Is he knocking on your heart? You're going to let him in or you're going to respond to this love today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ, to be forgiven of sin. If you're here today and you want to receive that, will you please stand so I can pray for you and pray with you as your new journey with Christ begins. All right. All right. I'm going to go ahead and lead you in the prayer. You might be watching online and you might be ready to respond. And so if you're online, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And uh, just to repeat this after me, just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned and fallen short of your righteousness. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I receive you now as my Lord and my Savior. Please come into my heart and help me to live for you in all that I do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're here today and you need prayer, you're just really going through it. You feel like you're losing hope. You're going through something that's bigger than you of yourself. Remember that even the impossible is possible with God. And there's people who would love to pray for you, to pray with you, to take you before the very throne room of God. But as we leave, let's walk in love. More love for God and more love for people. Let's stand for our final song.
trust you, Lord. No, we will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. Let's sing, I will build my life. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you, oh Lord. And I will not be shaken. Amen. God bless you. Have a blessed week.